fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. This FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is back. Yes. Yeah. I'm back. I'm here. The Rolling Whoa. Stone magazine has, the, they've released their 50 greatest, greatest mistakes made in rock and roll. Oh really? And um and just see so just for a primer, number ten is Billy Squire obliterates his career with one cheesy music video in nineteen eighty four. Yep. I remember that. I still can't believe that's a problem. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't realize it was such a. I heard a lot of stuff, but I just didn't realize. So, um, so yeah, there's something to look forward to, and we're going to talk about Janet Jackson and and oh, something and and Kiss that made a movie. Oh yeah, I remember that. Phantom yeah, of the opera, and no one's seen it. Or you? No one's seen it. <laughs> you probably did, right? I've seen some of it. Yeah. yeah. So, is it one of the be- greatest mistakes? It's one of the greatest movies of all time. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have known. I should have known. Well, well. so we're going to bring in a, a writer here. His book, The Poison Machine, doesn't that say it all? So, Mr. Robert J. Lloyd, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for, for inviting me. I, I'm very flattered that you have. How did you get into writing? This is a fairly new career for you, right? Um, well, the, the um, I, I, I dabbled. Um, so, so I started writing the first book back in 2000, and, and it's so long ago, I, I can't really recall why I did. But um, well, one day I, I, I decided I, I would write a thriller, um, and it took me... 13, 14 years before before I, I was ready to kind of send it out. So it was uh, it was done very part time around my teaching job, um, and uh, you know I, I put it away for months at a time. Kept coming back to it. Um, it eventually had a a year out, um, a kind of kind of paternity leave year, and and finished it off. That was twenty ten. Um, so, so yeah, not. Um, I, I did a, um, a history um, MA. I, I used to write, did a fine art degree, wrote a very long thesis. Kind of got into writing back, you know, during those degrees. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've recently come out of teaching, but it, it, it's always been around my, uh, uh, my my other main job. Yeah, but it takes quite a. Uh, it's different. I mean, it's it's easier. Uh, nowadays to to publish than it was 50 years ago but even through publishers somewhat because there's so many more of them 
Um, but it still takes a lot of um, initiative, a lot of, a lot of drive and a lot of belief and hope and everything. So there's a lot of passion and I think some courage involved into actually putting together a book, putting it out there and, and letting uh, people read it. You know, I, so I just, I just think that's, uh, uh, there's usually something that pushes someone there, you know, or something that happens that makes someone go that, that direction. I think there, there was a tipping point. It, it became such a millstone because I'd been chipping away at it for so long. Um, I, I had to get the thing finished. I, otherwise, you know, I, I couldn't have, um, couldn't have looked anybody in the eye. I, I talked about it for so long and, and they, they were constantly asking, how's the book going? Um, after, after 10 years, that's get, uh, that gets wearing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it would be. So now, so the first, the first book, would that be The Bloodless Boy? Yep. That's right. The, the, uh, Bloodless Boy. So it's a, a historical thriller. Um, the, it's, it's got a lovely, um, Lee Child blurb on the, uh, on the front. Uh, he, he, uh, enjoyed it. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's pitched as, as being a thriller. Uh, a few people very kindly have called it, um, uh, a literary thriller. I'm not quite sure what what that means. Uh, there are some long words in it, I think. Um, but that that's the main aim is is that it uh, it thrills, it entertains, and that they are murder mysteries essentially, um, but set in the uh, later half of the of the 17th century, using two um, natural philosophers of the of the Royal Society. So so real characters, Robert Hooke and uh, Henry Hunt or Harry. Um, I, I've chosen uh, real characters to, to to turn into fictionalized versions of themselves as they investigate murders. Yeah, yeah. Anytime an American hears English people, it's literary. <laughs> Just the accent. <laughs> it's got to be literary. Fiction. So historical yeah. fiction. And now there's okay. That seems to be kind of a trend lately, where people are taking historical characters or an historical event, sometimes both. They mix it together, and then they um, create a story out of that that didn't happen, or sometimes they um, finish the story that was unknown, or they kind of, um, you know, they just do something with it, and they add their own characters, and they do all this stuff. How do you put this together? Like when you're doing this, like in your first book there, um, what, what was your, let's say, um, structure in doing this? Like what, from the get go. So you had the idea first or you had the characters first or all this. How does it all come together for you? I had the idea of writing a thriller. Um, I, I wanted to write some kind of murder mystery. And in my MA degree, I had researched Robert Hooke, and my my thesis was was about Robert Hooke and the the early science of the Royal Society. So I I had a lot of research to to pull back on, and um, uh, one of the many things that he did uh, he he was a polymathic genius. But one of the many things he did was write a book called Micrographia. Uh, the the starting point he he uh, built designed, improved microscopes and, and used them to study nature and published a very beautiful book. Um, so, so my starting point was, wouldn't it be nice to have his expertise in microscopy um, 
brought to bear on an investigation, on a, on a murder investigation. So a kind of CSI 17th century London. Now that was my, my start point. Um, I could have used fictional characters, um, but that seemed very artificial to, to kind of write new um, natural philosophers, as, as they call themselves, and, and, you know, have fictional fellows of the Royal Society. Uh, so I, I made the, the decision to um, revivify them, um, w w which is the theme of the first book anyway. So, so it, it kind of made sense. It does, it does bring up some interesting moral um, ethical issues when you're when you're using real characters, which which interests me. Um, you you I know write a, a lot of the real crime books, so uh, this uh, th this must be a, a consideration for you. And the kind of sense there's a sensitivity around using real people. Um, but my my characters mostly have been dead for three hundred years, so so perhaps my my considerations are slightly lesser than yours. Well, I think I, I think that I was more focused on it years ago, and and then I got into some courses and and about how when we write old stories like that, because I was doing some things from a hundred years ago, some murders and we're relying on second and third hand information in a lot of cases, you know, newspaper reports, um, you know, uh, cause nobody's alive. And so everything we have is sort of, um, two, two dimensional. It's not like I can really uh, do an in-depth, you know, kind of review or uh, of what a character is, you know, you, you only get certain sides to the story. And, and then the reason certain groups and certain newspapers print in a certain way is because of what they believed at the time. But when you're away from that, the emotion's gone and you read it, you don't. So, so I understand totally the, 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 the get go and do all this stuff. I think the hardest part must be, filling in what kind of person that character would be. Yeah, and, and um, there, there are disadvantages. Um, luckily, well, I, I like the difference, actually. Luckily, we know ever such a lot about Robert Hook. We know next to nothing about his apprentice, Harry, who, who later worked his way up through the Royal Society. He was a, a, an operator, an observator, keeper of the library, keeper of the repository um so so he was um he's, he's in the royal society records various things that he did but we we know very little about his uh, his life um so so with robert hook the the character is is given you you can't redesign his character in order to fit the theme of your book or or or, or the plot of your book better he he kind of is what he is but I, I have a lot more freedom with uh, with Harry, um, and and take um, you know liberties um, of, of inventing um, characteristics for him that, that we we absolutely don't don't know. We we haven't got any kind of physical description. Um, we we haven't got people's opinions on him apart from when he was recommended to the Royal Society as. Um, uh, 
that, that, that gives me a lot of space to, to play in. Well, I was going to ask how much, um, and you basically went into that literary license, do you need to take uh, with the characters when uh, dramatizing the story? But I'm also wondering, um, you know, with the plot points, uh, do, do you, can you take a lot of uh, literary license when doing that, or do you have to kind of kind of follow uh, history uh, as it happened. Part of the reason the first book took so long is that I tried to stick too closely to the, um, the, the historical timeline. Um, uh, it, it, was, um, it, it was all about a, a very famous um, unsolved murder, which, uh, which I won't say the, the character's name because it's the midpoint of the, of the book. Um, but, the, but there's a, a 17th century murder that that happened um and it was um used as fuel to to um uh, promulgate the the popish plot which w- w- was a major kind of um, bout of hysteria that london went through in the in the late uh, 1670s early early 1680s um <clears throat> so so yes I, I i had this major event and uh and i i've um uh, produced my fictional solution um, uh, of this particular man's murder. Um, I, I then extended it backwards to to make a fictional investigation that that, that he was involved in, that um, that Harry and, uh, and and Hook go by. But originally, I, I I still have a few. I, I looked closely at Hook's diary, which is uh, you know details all sorts of interesting fascinating events and, and had various events that i knew wanted to be in the book uh, you end up compressing um events in time uh purely for, for kind of reasons of, of logic and, and and narrative um simplicity um but but historians do that as well don't they and i i, I kind of I, I feel more relaxed about doing. I, I used to be a bit squeamish about doing these kinds of things, uh, making stuff up for uh, for characters. But once you once you start creating dialogue, you you kind of moved away from history. But his, like, like I say, historians um, cherry pick. They they find nuggets in their research that that goes into their their final published book. That they'll edit people out of uh, uh, of um, the historical record his history is horribly messy and it has far too many characters uh in in a thriller uh you you kind of need to keep things moving so you 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 do have to be a little bit brutal sometimes and uh, uh sometimes you can you could even shock yourself what you what you do to these characters well yeah and you know when i compare it to some of the modern day uh crimes i've i've written about and it's it's probably the same you you go to different groups or of people that you know they they worked with they lived with or they went to school with or they partied with and they all tell you a describe a sometimes a totally different person they all give you a different description of who this person is and what they're like and what they would and wouldn't do so after a while i started realizing that it's just you're it's not totally reliable either uh, what you're going to hear um so i you know you just kind of have fun with it why not do you try to um change who they are in in the mental like in the landscape of society when you take these two main characters are you trying to change their position 
of what people in general think of them? I, um, it's, it's, um, it's a kind of fuzzy, um, fuzzy line. All, all these decisions that you make, no, it, it wouldn't make sense to change Robert Hooke's character from, from my point of view. Um, I, I like to stick with the, the, the physical, um, facts about him. I like to, um, you know, there, there are a lot of, um, uh, people's opinions on, on Hook, his contemporaries. He, he was so busy and involved with, with so many people. Um, he was, uh, the kind of engine of the other world society at, uh, at this time. He, he was a lifelong friend of Christopher Wren. Um, John Aubrey is a, another character who, who wrote about, uh, Hook in, in some detail. Um, it, it doesn't make sense to me to, Kind of make, make changes. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to turn Robert Hook into Jack Reacher for, for the purposes of, of my novel. Um, I was thinking more like RuPaul. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'm, I'm in the middle of book three. Maybe, maybe that can, can make a scene <laughs> or, or, or maybe Harry, certainly Harry make the could, news. Um, there's a lot of disguises in. In, in book three, I've, I've kind of looked at the thirty-nine steps, and uh, they've been inspired by by Richard Hannay, you know, donning disguise after disguise. Maybe RuPaul um, could uh, could find it. You know, a seventeenth-century version. Yeah, <laughs> Molly's they were they were called back then. In the Bloodless Boy, um, I see now you've centered. You've got the city of London, sixteen seventy-eight. There's the Great Fire. And uh, you, the you know the whole the fall of Oliver Cromwell and the you know restoration of the the true king or whatever you know so you got this this kind of skyline I'll say this this outline here why choose something like that to put the characters in why um, because I mean you think of the uh, the times they they live through. Um, are you, you know, as you say, the, the civil wars, the restoration, the plague, um, the, the, the fire in 1666. Um, Robert Hooke was, uh, was central to the rebuilding of London as, uh, as well as being an architect. He was the, the, the main city surveyor, uh, and apparently, um, physically measured out the, the, the as many as a quarter of the, the the buildings that had been destroyed so he he was absolutely central he he wrote certificates of compensation um he he was a very very busy man so as well as his science he was in, instrumental in the rebuilding of of london um so uh, you know having having chosen hook as my main character he he brings all of this with him, so, so though I can't um, imagine editing any of uh, of that out. Uh, as we as we move into the late 1670s, the the Popish plot um, gripped London. Uh, then the exclusion crisis, uh, where where James II um, announced that he was uh, was a Catholic, and this worried everybody as far as uh, you know who was going to take over after Charles II. Um, so, so all of this for for me is is very rich ground, um, and, and and I enjoy mucking around in it. Yeah, I find that 
fascinating. It's so interesting, all the ins and outs in, 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 that's going on during a time. If you go center around what's, what's happening and all the players and stuff like that, I think that's fascinating. But does that in itself, like when you take this, like you, the Catholic plots, like the stuff that's kind of going on, when you take that, are you kind of setting up a, um, is is this to get some sort of a, a a meaning or subtext throughout the book? Are you trying to say something? People apply their their, their own subtexts. My, my my main thing, I think, is that Hook and Harry uh, represent um, the the new science, um, but also the. Uh, I mean, I mean, interestingly, in the first book, well, one of the main protagonists is is John Locke, but but they themselves represent a kind of liberal, um, empirical, um, perhaps uh, a kind of rational and um, experimentally based outlook. They they want to get to the truth and you use the tools of their their trade to, to do so. While all around them is hysteria and mayhem. Uh, that, for some reason, seems to strike a bit of a chord nowadays. It's come out at a, a, an interesting time. The, the way that science is uh, is viewed, um, the, the the kind of hysteria that surrounded the uh, the popish plot, where where everyone was convinced that the the Catholics were were about to take over, and and every kind of misfortune or or uh, you know in in the book there's a murder uh, is ascribed to Catholic malfeasance. Um, so when I when I actually wrote it, um, the the main thing I had in mind was uh, was was racism and uh, there was a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment going on in the British um, press and the the, the British um, government. Um, so 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 uh, you know, uh, uh, Harry in particular represents my kind of woolly liberalism, um, but he, he as far as the the murders uh, and the mystery. You know, he he is going to find, pick his way through all of the kind of madness around him. I don't know about you, but um, the few historical things I've touched off on when I've been writing, I, I found that it's it's the same things people fighting about then are the same things they're fighting about today. Uh, you know, the players have changed, and and our dynamics, the way we fight. You know, we've got social media and computers, electronics and all that, rather than the old, uh, just a newspaper or society thing. They had, yeah, I mean, in London, they had the coffee houses and the, and the newsletters. Um, and, and I think, you know, it was, it was gossip. Yeah. Tip, and I think gossip would go around the, uh, the city like, uh, like wildfire, um, uh, you know, person, person to person. It, it is, I mean, we're, we're very lucky, aren't we, that we have Twitter. So you can, you can see all of the, all of the kind of crazies out there. But by crazies, I mean people who disagree with you. Yeah. Um, you, you can see the whole range of positions that people, that people take. And it's no different in the 17th century. So, so an issue like exclusion, you would have a whole spectrum of, of views. On that, you know, people who were who were sympathetic, who who mistrusted the propaganda, people who went with it, um, and and this is, this is reflected. You know, our, our distrust of government yeah. um, <laughs> is, uh, is is uh, you know all 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 there in the in the sixteen seventies, 
um, the, the uh, well, English, the British, after all, had, had fought a, a war about it, you know, 25 years before my books are set. Um, so, uh, uh, and, and welcomed back a, a king, um, but, but limited his powers. And then he proceeded through, through dialogue and cleverness to kind of claw those, those powers back. Uh, so, so, uh, all, all these different characters come to the fore, don't they? And the, uh, the, the ones with the loudest voices, um, uh, get get their sort of fans together and uh, and get their support bases together and money comes in. Uh, think tanks aren't anything new. Um, so so the, the kind of all, all the different um, factions and uh, people pulling the strings. It's uh, it, it, it nothing's changed, has it? As, as you as you say, no. Some some of the headlines from a hundred years ago were the same things I see today. Just you know, maybe a different circumstance, but it's the same premise of some sort of racist sort of thing or some some sort of fight over it. And I think, well, they're still doing it today. Thank God it's changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the myth the myth of progress. Yeah. <laughs> now, the poison machine. Is this a sequel? It's a direct sequel. Uh, yeah. So, so same same characters. Um, this is. Uh, it's about another murder. This is the murder of the queen's dwarf. Um, uh, an extraordinary, again, a real character, a real person who existed, but so kind of bonkers that I I, I had to write about it. So Captain Geoffrey Hudson was uh, um, Queen Henrietta Maria's dwarf. He was only 18 inches tall. Um, and as a, a seven-year-old, he was presented to her in a pie. Uh, they, they made a suit of armor for him. She also had a giant called William Evans, who was seven foot seven. Apparently, he used to put Geoffrey Hudson inside a loaf of bread and hide him in his pocket and produce him like a sandwich. Um, <laughs> so he he was um, weirdly uh, an excellent horseman, which which I can't quite get my head around, and uh, and a superb shot. And he he was taken off to the the. the Dutch court to be shown off as a, a rarity of nature. Uh, he was then taken to the, the French court um, during the civil wars when the Queen was trying to s s drum up some money for her husband's army. And uh, Geoffrey Hudson ended up getting himself involved in a duel. Uh, presumably someone took the, the mickey out of him. Um, and um, he, he promptly shot the man dead. <laughs> He, he then uh, escaped from France because dueling was uh, was prohibited. Um, this is the real Hudson I'm talking about. Ended up in captivity with the Barbary pirates for 25 years and, and was eventually ransomed and, and released and returned to, to England. In, in fact, his cottage still exists. You can visit it in a place called Oakham on the uh, on the east coast in in England. Um, so, so I, I had this sort of um, mad character that, that I, I, I desperately wanted to to write about. But the the killer fact is that when he had returned from his twenty five years of captivity, he was twice the height. He was now three feet tall, which which pleased him no end apparently. But to me, it just uh, suggested a, a 
that you know this is a different man this is an imposter uh, and that's where the, uh, the the whole thing started so they they discover um age-old bones that have been lying in the bottom of of the of the boat since the civil wars they realize it's jeffrey hudson no one knew or thought he was dead because an imposter's been living in his place uh the imposter has disappeared and harry is given the job of uh, of finding the the imposter which leads him then into uh, more more um, conspiracies and uh, and intrigues and and mayhem ensues yeah you got the illuminati's involved it has to be not this time, but Rude Paul is uh, um, is definitely in the background waiting to pounce. Oh, good, good. Going to... <laughs> so it's funny. So when you've got this going, are you thinking of doing a big pile of books with this these characters? That kind of a series. I've, I've just been presented with the, uh, the the contract by Melville House, my publisher, um, for books three and four. Um, Book book three is is you know well well underway. I've I've, I've got a deadline as well, which is a bit uh, alarming. So certainly four books. I've I've got the um, a kind of sketch for for book four. And the like I was saying earlier, history carries on, doesn't it? So if I if I've got to 1681, then 1682, um, 1683 is is there ready to be mined. Um, as long as I still have have an interest in the characters, um, my my character Harry um, is is a young man, so he's coming out from from Hook's shadow. So he's changing. So he's he's a kind of interesting character to to, to follow as as he changes and and um, you know learns and uh, learns through suffering most of the time. He, he does go through a, a fair old a fair old bit. Um, so, so you know, his development is uh, is interesting through through the books, um, and we, we've got all sorts of things coming up. Um, Monmouth tried to take over the throne after his father's death, but he was illegitimate. Uh, James the Second took over. William of Orange, the, the Protestant um, uh, prince, was brought in in, in his place. You know, there, there, there's plenty of. Um, um, of history ahead of us. So, so you know, wh- whether I carry on or, or whether I switch, uh, maybe I'll I'll start um, writing in a, in a different time frame. I I, I don't know, but um, I'm I'm certainly enjoying uh, being with my characters at the moment. Well, your first book, The Boldest Boy, was originally self-published. Um, how, how did you end up getting it traditionally published? How how did that work? Well, this is um, yeah. I, it, I, I sent it to um, literary agents, and four agents wanted it. So I thought, wow, you know, th- th- this is incredible. If you read the statistics, it, it really is um, incredible. You know how many books agents get. So four, four were interested. Um, I went to meet with two, signed up with one, and they sent it out after a re-edit um, to various publishers, and four publishers were interested. And uh, I thought this is, you know, in- incredible. Um, uh, they asked for rewrites. It was very long. Um, they-, they wanted sort of things trimming mainly. Um, I-, I had to retense it. Originally, it was um, in the in the present tense. I-, I put it into the past tense. So I'm- I made these changes, but no contract um, ensued. 
So um, I self-published. So yeah, feeling crushed by by the whole process. But but, but I I had a a, a book. I, I self-published it and did a, a Kindle version. And then I was much quicker with book two because I I planned it. Um, so it, again, around my teaching role, I I wrote the second book, um, and self-published that. that that went through my agency to various publishers as, as well and you know it, it was all as close but mostly gone and so the self-published versions rattled along and and, and got nice reviews and, and sold you know reasonably um but they they kind of potted along and then one day i got a phone call from my daughter who said you've just been on radio four and uh, the uh, the author, Christopher Fowler, who writes the Bryant and May um, Mysteries, um, had been on, on Radio 4 um, on a program all about unputdownable stories. And he said, my books were, you know, unputdownable. So so this is really the, uh, the, the thing that, um, that changed everything. And I, I owe Christopher Fowler... I call him Chris nowadays, um, you know, uh, uh, ever such a lot. And he, he wrote about the books on his blog, which is very popular. And then that um, through through one of his fans, who who's a, a bookseller um, in um, San Francisco, he, he suggested it to Dennis Johnson at Melville House in New York. So the first I knew of that was getting an email uh, which I thought was a scam email. I, I, I do. Um, I'm a painter. I, I do landscapes and portraits as, as well. And I've, I've got a website. I get all sorts of odd scam emails from from people um, trying to uh, extract either either paintings or or money out. I, you know, I'm not quite sure how they think they'll they'll um, succeed in that. But um, it it uh, it looked like a a, a scam and. Uh, I kind of put it away. I opened it up again and go, who's this Dennis Johnson? Um, and, and looked the guy up. And uh, when he said he wanted to publish my books, I, I realized that actually he had a rather large publishing company in New York and and seemed to mean business. So, uh, you know, it was like winning the lottery. And I'm, I'm, I feel like a very, uh, very lucky man indeed. So they, uh, again, with some re-editing, um, they they've taken the stories. We've retitled the the second one. Um, it's become the Poison Machine. Um, they they have produced these beautiful um, hardbacks um, with you know wonderful end papers and illustrations and uh, deckled edges, and it's a very kind of high end product that they've uh, they've gone for. So I I feel uh, very. Uh, very, very lucky. There's an audio version which has um, affected the way I write because I now I now imagine my characters speaking with James Gillies' voice, who, who does the audio book. Um, so, so you know, big big changes, and I I, I feel very uh, very blessed. One thing I'm curious about because uh, I've done primarily nonfiction work, and um, you know, you go out do the research. Uh, put it together, do the story, um, with a lot of fiction writers, horror writers and, and historical fiction writers I talk to, um, 
you ask them about their characters, and their characters are like people to them. They're like friends or family, and they hear voices, and they see them, and they interact with them, and they it's like watching them on a movie screen or something. You hear all this stuff. And for me, I don't experience that with the real people that I've been dealing with. I'm not getting that. Um, but you kind of having the best of both here in the sense that you're doing some truth and research and the basic events and even characters, but you're also doing, um, you're creating a character like a fictional writer would. So when you have that kind of situation, what's your sense of your characters? The, um, like I say, the, the character of Harry is a bit of a self-portrait. Um, and me, me as a younger man, um, as he sort of fumbles his way uh, through to, to some kind of solution. Um, the the relationship between Harry and Hook um, through through the the process of writing became um, a portrait. Of my relationship with my father, so that that's become kind of very special to me and uh, you know the, the kind of um so 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 you know it, it's it's a father-son relationship anyway and and it's become a a portrait of my relationship with with dad um the 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 one character that that really did kind of take over um, and, and I had to kind of edit him brutally in the in the in the re-edits. Um, it was as if he was just talking o- over my shoulder, and I was writing down what uh, what he was saying. Was the is, is, is there's an old soldier in the bloody sport who fought for Parliament and uh, a leveller, um, and he he becomes Harry's kind of um, almost like a, a, a second mentor and. and, and certainly his his friend um and he regales harry with all sorts of tales about the civil wars and so on um he he's is the one voice that um really you know i i really did um just kind of let him ramble on and, and he wrote himself um uh, other people um like the king for example um you you kind of feel your way to, to to a portrait of him that that you're happy happy with. So so I emphasise the uh, the kind of brave soldierly um, side of him, uh, but but also the kind of cunning and, and guile. What I what I didn't want him to be was to be just a, a you know the the merry monarch, um, which which is the cliche of, of Charles II. So as as far as characters living in your head, I think. Um, with with me, it's it's probably more um, plot um, points, re- reverses and solutions and twists. They're, they're the things that I kind of worry at um, more, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I've probably said enough on that, haven't I? Well, I, except for you know when you're hearing someone's voice, is that happen when you drive? <laughs> um, only in my driving test, I, I, I'm very deaf, and uh, when uh, I'm deaf on the left side, which obviously in the UK, uh, he, he was sitting on my left in the uh, in the test, and so I asked him to speak up and explain that I'm deaf in my left ear, 
So my driving test, I had this guy screaming instructions at me uh, all, all the way around, which was great. It was, Mr. Lloyd! Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, that, uh, that voice will always stay. Uh, yeah, I, I hope I don't hear too, too many uh, imaginary voices, at least. Have your characters uh, ever gone off the rails and kind of taken over the plot? Do they, do they refuse to do things, or uh, do you have a lot of control over what's uh, going on during the first uh, draft? I I do now. I do, like I said, the first one took ages because I, I was inexperienced, and I tried to sort of write and see where the writing took me. The the second one I I planned, um, but but a, a long plan. So if if, if you do. You know, each book is just over a hundred thousand words, so a ten thousand word plan. When characters take over, or, or, or they, you know, let them do it in the plan, is is my current um, point. I I can kind of I can follow where they want to go, and it's much easier to do that or rewrite a ten thousand word outline. Um, than a 100,000 word book. So I, I, you know, most, most of the surprises that characters throw up, um, will, will come in the, you know, what's a, a fairly extensive, um, planning process and, and, and any kind of insurrections that I feel will really cut across what, what I'm trying to do with the plot, then I'll stamp them down. Yeah. Who's the boss? That's right. Absolutely. You know, you, you have to assert yourself to yourself sometimes, don't you? <laughs> That's right. Slap yourself around. <laughs> so, it's something I enjoy too much, actually, yeah. the slapping myself around. Yeah, and that's for a different series of books. It distracts from the writing. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Now, how do you um, – do you like interacting with readers and fans, or do you like getting into that? Do you belong to a lot of social media do you have a website? Um, all of those platforms, um, and if you do, what are they? So maybe people can find you. I've, I'm I'm on Facebook and Twitter. I can't get my head around Instagram, but I have tried. Uh, tw- Twitter is my my main thing as as far as readers, and um, we we have a wonderful thing in the in the UK, which doesn't seem to happen so much in in the states. But uh, we we have book bloggers. Uh, so the, the UK arm of Melville House have uh, um, kind of encouraged people to, to, to blog about them. Uh, I, I run competitions for free copies of the books for, for my book bloggers. And, you know, what, what a wonderful bunch of people. And they, and they work so hard for free to, to push um, books. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I, I enjoy Twitter. We, we mentioned it earlier. I haven't got into too many scrapes on on Twitter, um, but yes, I I, I really enjoy uh, reading reviews, good and bad. Um, the the fact that it's gone through uh, the, the the stories have gone through another person's consciousness and kind of met their um, particularities and their, their their foibles and their their preoccupations. Um, you know, and it gets filtered through, and you, you get a review. But sometimes just not be sideways because they're they're, they're so odd, um, and uh, you think, my God, yeah, I, I I should have I should have thought of that. Well, why why haven't I considered that I've been writing the thing for fifteen years? You, you get all sorts of interesting things thrown uh, thrown up. Um, a, a couple of uh, people I, I I've 
you know, disagree with. Good, good reads. Got a bit aggressive at one point with with a particular person, which you know I, I felt a bit burned by that. Um, but generally, um, I, I do need a website. I I I should set up a, a website for the books. I, I have one for the, uh, the the paintings. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, sorry, I've, I've um, made friendships over Twitter with with people I've never actually actually met, and um, you know, internationally, which is which is fantastic. So I, I do enjoy Twitter, but but I've got a, a you know a kind of booky booky corner of it, and uh, and don't get too involved in um, you know the, the the more controversial aspects of Twitter. Oh, you know they're starting uh, anti-mask rallies and <laughs> causing trouble and I, I i used to have a you know a grumble a grumble on twitter about our government um but you know i, I might get one like and uh, and a wave but you know it's uh <laughs> um but books are, are much safer things to uh, to stay with I'll, I'll i'll try and put my political uh views um forward in in the books i think yeah yeah uh, you know and that's kind of a and not only that, it's better to do that live anyway, right? If you're going to have a talk about more serious things, it's better to do it live rather than um, over the internet. But that's the well. I mean, the, the idea of um, talking live on on um, radio, for example, um, that that would worry me sick. I think I'd, I'd say all sorts of stupid things. Um, I, I need time to to reflect, and and I, you know. Do you remember letters? weren't weren't they good? Writing writing on <laughs> on posh paper. That's that's yeah. the way all communication should be done, I think. Well, yeah, me too. You know, I've I've said all sorts of stupid things, and I'm still here. Well done. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> a, a long way that continue. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, let's tell you, uh, it gives me enough. Uh, you know, starting paper. I got hundreds of papers. No, it's all digital nowadays. So. Maybe. Maybe maybe you could call your program not been cancelled yet. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not 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 in jail yet. Do you sort of know, like you, in your head ahead in your head ahead of time? Do you know kind of where you're going to go with this character? Like, what kind of events? Do you kind of have that kind of all mapped out in your mind of what they're going to do, or does it just? happen when you need to do it i know i know what um what happened in their lives but um the, uh, like, like i said earlier harry the, the details are very are very sparse um i know exactly what's going to happen in book three because i'm i'm you know towards finishing um the the, the first draft and ha- having done a long plan as, as i said Book four is uh, is sketched out. That might change. I want to do something formally, um, slightly different um, w- with that, and have a split uh, time frame. But you know, book book five has yet to to, to suggest itself. If um, um, if if I if I stay with the same series, maybe I'll I'll try and uh, write something. Maybe I'll need re- refreshing uh, then, I, I, you know, with, with, with a different. Um, God, maybe I could do a modern one with all, all the you know mobile phones and networks and things like that, you know, AI. Um, but um, I, I do like my my little corner of the uh, of the seventeenth century, so I'll, I'll I'll probably stick there. 
I know, I have an idea. Why don't you do one about the pandemic back then? That's something fresh. Haven't <laughs> <laughs> we? Haven't we had enough? But my um, yeah. But my daughter, my my daughter is an, or, or was I should say, she's changed now. She she was an ICU nurse at Guy's and St Thomas's, which is one of the big hospitals in London. Uh, at the uh, well, throughout the, the pandemic, certainly at its at its height. So um, I, I think I I may I, I may have had enough of the, uh, of, the of the pandemic for for, for her sake. Uh, yeah, she she went through it. She went through it to 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 do a twelve plus hour shift in full um, protective equipment, uh, and then come out of your shift, walk out of the hospital, and be confronted with COVID deniers who yeah. who were claiming that you know nothing was actually happening inside that hospital. I uh, I found that bewildering and grim. Yeah, yeah, certainly gives you a perspective on how people will act. In reality, um, especially because a lot of times we we watch or watch things or read, and we'll say about certain events or characters, "Well, that's crazy. That would never happen. Nobody would ever do that." <laughs> and then we live through it. <laughs> yeah, and they're yeah, crazy. I know it is. It is. Um, it is fascinating what what happens in in other people's heads, isn't it? It, it constantly fascinates me. Um, and and I try to understand and um, find explanations, um, but it's it's so foreign to my way of thinking um, that that um, you know it kind of repels me at the same time as fascinates me. I just know if it happens again, I'm going to go buy up all the toilet paper, <laughs> <laughs> and sell it for high price. I don't know, man. It's crazy. Well, it's um, it's been enjoyable. I've I've uh, had a good time. Uh, I get a whole enjoyable from you, do I, Alan? Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. that's that's big that's for me. Uh, good, um, good. <laughs> so now the book, you need to go out and buy it. You know, our our buddy over there in the UK needs, uh, you know, inflation. Things are going up. It's got to pay for bread. So, the poison machine. And the author's been our guest, Robert J. Lloyd. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much indeed. I really, really enjoyed the conversation, Alan. And, uh, and Dave, you, you were slightly in the background there. But, uh, yeah, great to, uh, great to meet you both and chat to you both. Thanks, Robert. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>